Thanks for tuning in to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that you're blessed and encouraged to walk out the gospel as you listen to this message. Guys, it is good to see you this morning. Uh, Man, I see a lot of red out there. Go Chiefs. Go Eagles. Oh, I I met a few in the foyer, but they're kind of quiet today. They're afraid of what might happen to them. If they, if they get too uh, vocal about their beliefs. <laughs> what did you say, Pete? <laughs> He's from Philadelphia. We'll forgive him. We'll forgive. <laughs> People get rowdy with this stuff. I'm telling you what. Um, man, I'm, I'm so glad to be here. Um, I, I just want to mention this. We're starting, as you saw, that video uh, the next four weeks an equipping series right here in this room on Wednesday nights, um, and we're going to talk about healthy conflict. Um, it's going to be a real strategic time of, of teaching. We're going to have some panels, some question and answers, some ministry time. It's going to be really good because we want to help the church um, be equipped to navigate conflict in a healthy, biblical kingdom way. How many say that sounds good? Um, these nights are literally for everybody, um, so I want to encourage you Uh, to jump in these next four weeks on Wednesday nights here. Um, This morning, I'm going to begin that conversation, actually. Um, And we're going to begin just that talk as uh, we are followers of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, how we navigate and embrace healthy conflict. How many love conflict? Okay, we got like one down here. Amazing. How many would rather hide in a closet when conflict's happening? Okay, I see, I see all those. This is like most of the church. Okay. Um, every single one of us is faced with conflict. Conflict in friendship, conflict in family, marriage, at home, at work, at church. We, we face conflict simply driving down the street with other amazing Springfield drivers. <laughs> right? I mean, it's just, it happens. And, and here's, here's what we know that there has been conflict since the garden, right? Um, you and I were born into conflict. Literally, we were born into conflict. The conflict is between light and dark. And uh, we, we know that the Bible tells us that the enemy is scheming. He's prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And he wants to devour people. He wants to literally devour you and me. And one of the ways that he loves to devour people is through targeting relationships, by trying to divide families, um, by trying to divide friendships over a Super Bowl. That was a joke. (laughs) Trying to divide a church over the Super Bowl. I feel the division in the room. But but I believe ultimately his intention is to to divide his church. And his, his mission... We know, because the scriptures tell us, is to kill, steal, and destroy. Literally. So anytime we see these kinds of divisions, these kinds of things happening, we can know that the forces of darkness are at work. And we often forget that one of the greatest tactics of the enemy is to get people bound up. We think of things like, you know, addictions and and in, in the sexual realm or, you know, alcohol, these sorts of things, drugs. But, but one of the greatest tactics that the enemy has is to get people bound in offense. To get people bound in unforgiveness and anger, hatred, just any kind of division in order to destroy 
relationship between God's image bearers, which is all of us. And I want to suggest to you today that as followers of Jesus Christ, that, that we have to be alert and we need to be awake to this, to be watchful and aware so that we can stand against the devil's schemes. Now, the word of God is, is literally packed full of instruction for how to navigate through these attacks so we can live in a way that refuses the temptation and the traps of offense, of bitterness, of suspicion and judgment and division so that, 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 you know, we know these things can come through misunderstanding, right? Sometimes we just have misunderstandings. These things try and come through differences among us in the church, and we want to be able to deal with them in healthy Jesus ways. How many say I have some differences with people around me in the body of Christ? Okay. Of course we do. And in the midst of, of, of those differences, we live in a culture that is swirling with discord. Right? It just literally swirls with discord. It swirls with accusation. It swirls with suspicion and offense. And really, it's ultimately, it swirls with the desire for self. It's been swirling for a really long time. Um, so long, in fact, that I think it's become normal. But church, this is not to be our normal. Right? This is not to be our atmosphere. We're called to a whole different normal and bring a whole different atmosphere because we live from a different place in this place. And that's called the kingdom of God because we're kingdom people. We talk about this subject often. We are called, hear this, to be an alternative community to the ways and means of the world. We are called to be a completely alternative way of living to the ways and means of the world. In fact, in the midst of the swirling that goes on all around us, our leader, who is the Prince of Peace, calls us in Matthew 5 9 to peace. He says, We saw it just a minute ago. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Turn to somebody and look them in the eyes and say, You were called to make peace. Turn to the other one and tell them, You were made to make peace. You were called to make peace. He didn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. He, he, a peacekeeper is someone who wants to avoid conflict. A peacekeeper is someone who wants to avoid tension, to try and keep a form of peace that actually isn't real. How many Enneagram 9s do we have out there? Okay, I see those hands. I see you. I love you. I love you. But here's the thing. A peacekeeper steps into the tension. A, a, a peacekeeper actually, a, peace, a peacemaker, I should say, steps into the tension, leans into the tension of hard places of conflict and actually makes real peace. Now, I think the Enneagram is is really helpful in many ways, but this is why you can't live your life by the Enneagram. You have to live your life by what the Word of God calls you to be. Right? That's the one danger is like, oh, I'm a, I'm a nine, I'm a this, I'm a that. Well, okay, that's good to understand yourself, but the truth is, is that we align who we are by what God calls us to. 
and who he calls us to be. And a peacemaker doesn't avoid the problem. It doesn't avoid the issues, but goes to the heart of the issues so that real peace can actually live and flourish. And the peacemakers shall be called sons of God, daughters of God. And if you're a son or a daughter of God, then I'd like to suggest to you today that you have a call on your life to make peace. We've just walked through some of the the most divided years of continual conflict that I have ever seen in my lifetime both in the world, but also, I think, in the church. And in many ways, the church as a whole has not done real well through it, that we were not prepared for all the things that we have faced in the last few years. But I want to tell you today, we're beginning an increased measure to get prepared today. We are going to get prepared so that no matter what we face, right, I'm determined, I'll tell you this, as your pastor, I am determined for us to be equipped in the word of God and prepared so that we'll be able to walk united in Jesus through whatever we may face in the future. That in the midst of whatever pandemic may be ahead of us someday or the next election cycle (laughs) or some international or some internal division, or some internal difference that we might have, that we would be locked arm in arm in Jesus, showing the world who he is through who we are together in him, okay? So right in the middle of doing life together, in the midst of conflict, in the midst of differences, that we would learn to lean in together and persevere together in unity around his word and around his way. That's where the unity is. I'll talk more about that in a minute. But church, how we care for and how we love and how we handle one another is one of the most important issues that we face for followers of Jesus as we represent who he is on the earth. It's one of the most important things. Jesus said this in John 13, 35. We've talked about this over the years, this passage in great great length. He said, a new command I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. I want you to love each other the way I loved you. You also are to love one another. And he says this, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. How we love each other, how we walk with each other, how we navigate conflict is directly connected to the success of our mission. I can't overemphasize this enough. How we navigate relational things among us, whether that's in marriage, whether that's in friendship, whether that's in the body of Christ, how we navigate conflict and turbulence with one another will ultimately show the world who he is. I believe we can get this. Give somebody a high five say, we can get this. I know, you love it when I do that. We can get this. We can get this. But here's what I'm going to tell you. It's great to high five, right? And be like, yeah, we can get this, we can get this. The way that we get this is going to take the spirit of God. And it's going to take knowing and doing the word of God. And guess what? It's going to take work. Work. 
It's going to take work. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 today, a couple other places. If you want to turn there, you can. The scriptures will be on the screen as well. The Apostle Paul is in prison here. He's in prison for the gospel, and he's writing to the Ephesians. It's, it's really a plea to the Ephesians, and he's calling them to a lifestyle that honors and follows Jesus. And he starts out, and he, he gives this incredible, like, first in these first few verses, and this is going to be the centerpiece for where we're going today. Um, I believe there's going to be a part two next week. That's what I'm believing for. Um, and he says this. He says to this church, he's talking to the church. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I want to read that again. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He's focused on how believers are to conduct their lives. And he says, I want you to walk in a manner that's worthy of your calling in Jesus. Church, I want to I encourage you, if you are in Christ, you have been called to walk in a way of life that is so radically opposed to the ways and means of the world. We're called to a lifestyle that's aligned with the ways and the means of Jesus, and that means we don't fight like the world fights. That we don't engage in conflict the way that the world engages in conflict. I, I, I'm just going to jump ahead to a little something he says later in Ephesians 17. Just because I, it, I've been just meditating on it all week long. And, and he's talking to them a little bit later in this passage. And he says, he says, uh, he says, what does he say? <laughs> Where did it go? Yeah, here it is. This is what he says, guys. Verse 17. He said, <laughs> I was like a record caught. He says, now this I say and I testify in the Lord. This whole chapter is about maturity in the body of Christ. It's about us growing up, okay? He says, I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do. No, no longer walk as those who don't know Jesus. In the futility of their minds, he says, Verse 18, he says, they're darkened in their understanding. He goes on and on these things. They become callous, have given themselves up to sensuality, greeted and practice every kind of impurity. That kind of impurity is like basically doing whatever the heck you want. Treating people however you want to treat them. Doing whatever fancies you. And he says, that's how they think. That's not how you think. But get this, verse 20. He says, but that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming, hear this that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. In other words, maybe you've been around this a long time, but maybe you've actually never had a revelation of what it is 
to follow Jesus. Maybe you've actually never been taught. And I think that even some of the things that we've walked through in the last years brought to light that we've actually not really learned the way of Jesus. And I'm telling you guys, I believe this so much with my whole heart that we are going to grow up in him in every way. That whatever face, season we face in these next years, that we are going to be rooted and grounded in him. Rooted and grounded in love. That they'll be able to, he, Paul wouldn't come to us and say, assuming you've heard. He'd be like, no, I can tell you've heard. I can tell you you've heard because of how you're loving and living and walking with one another. Where was I? Here we go. I urge you, he says, I plead. This word means literally, he's like, I beg you. I beg you. I beg you to walk in the way that's worthy of your calling because you're different. And he gives us these four qualities that are really central to walking out our our life together. I'd suggest four qualities that are central, foundational to us walking in healthy conflict. And the first is this, humility. Everybody say humility. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling with all humility. In other words, not just a little humility. In in other words, you're going to need it in every part of your life. Other translations say be completely humble. Be completely. To walk out this calling, it's going to take a lot of humility The culture around us swirls with pride and arrogance. It swirls with mean and ugly. And what Paul is calling us to here is the very opposite of that. So so what does humility look like? Here's just a few thoughts that I've kind of pondered over the years. Humility looks like this first. Me not believing that I know everything about everything. That'll set you free right there. Humility looks like me being open to the possibility that I may not understand or see everything rightly. That I could be missing something. Turn to somebody and say, I could be missing something. That's a really great little tip in marriage. Hey, if you're in a, this is just for free. If you're in a moment with your spouse and some, it's just not happening and it's escalating, stop and just say, I could be missing something. See what happens. There could be something here I'm not getting. Right, men? <laughs> Truly. Sometimes we don't get it. But we want to get it. But then we don't get it. You know? But we so want to. But then we don't. But then we really do want to. I'm like a record again. I'm broken. Here's another one. In in the midst of conflict, humility looks like me saying, "I, I may not see how I'm coming across. I may not understand how I'm coming across. I had a moment recently with one of my girls where I was super passionate about something And I thought I was right. And the next day, as I was just praying with the Lord in the morning, um, I realized how very wrong I was. Humility says, I want to understand. Humility then goes to my daughter 
and says, hey, honey, daddy is so sorry that I was wrong. And here's why. Not just I'm sorry, but here's why. Humility is owning me. If you're taking notes, write that down. Humility is owning me. You know, we have this thing in our house where sometimes apologies feel cheap. Have you ever had an apology feel cheap? Like, oh, I'm sorry. But you can tell they don't even know what they're saying sorry for. Like, where you're like, don't say sorry unless you know what you're sorry for. Because it's actually offensive. And I don't want to be more offended. Right? Like, like it's, it's, it's saying, hey, I'm sorry, and here's why I'm sorry, and here's why that was wrong, honey. I shouldn't have said that. I didn't understand. There was, there was something I didn't know about how it was coming across, and I want to make it right with you. Humility is realizing that I, have, I may have some growing to do. Humility is realizing that I don't have to be right, even if I am. I don't know why Chrissy's laughing right now. <laughs> but we don't act like we're right, right? Like we, humility realizes that I can actually be right and wrong at the same time. Right? I might be right, but I've gone about it in a completely wrong way, which actually made the whole thing wrong. It's being able to be corrected without being defensive. It's humility, being, being teachable. How many agree we need this? We need humility. We need it in every layer of relationship in the body of Christ. Philippians 2, 3 says this. It says, do, not, or do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, get this, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. See, humility is honoring and valuing other people above yourself. When I'm walking in humility, I'm valuing that person around me even above myself. The message reads it like this. It says, don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage, forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Isn't that good? C.S. Lewis, he says, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. So good. Humility wants to connect over being right and still not compromise. See, pride wants to control. Humility wants to connect. Think about that. In moments of conflict, I have to ask myself, do I want to be right or do I want to connect with this person? Because anytime I'm wanting to be right over wanting to love, I'm not walking in humility. I've said that before, and I want to say that again over us. Anytime I'm wanting to be right over wanting to love, I'm not walking in humility. And here's the thing, too. We think of humility as wimpy. Humility isn't wimpy. It's actually recognizing my need for the Lord. It's, it's, it's God opposes the proud, 
but gives what? Grace to the humble. I don't know about you, but I don't want the Lord opposing me. I want the grace of God on my life. And when we walk in humility, the promise is this. He gives you grace. If you are in conflict, I'll just end this little blurb on humility. If you are in regular conflict in your life, maybe in your marriage or in some other relationship, I'd like to suggest to you today trying humility. Try being humble. Try approaching that situation and that person in humility and see what happens. Can I hear an amen? It's getting quiet. Second quality is this. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling with all gentleness. With all gentleness. Jesus describes himself as gentle and lowly in heart. I was meditating on this. Matthew 11, 28, 29, where Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You guys... This just came alive to me in the last couple of days. The invitation that Jesus is giving here is to take his yoke, his burden, and learn from his way. What is his way? He says, learn from me, for I am what? His way is gentle and humble. Jesus, gentle and humble. And what's the promise? Rest for your souls. What if Jesus is just letting us in like, hey, you don't have rest because you're not walking in humility. You, you don't have rest for your soul because, because you're, you're, you're not gentle. You're like beating people up around you and that's doing damage on the inside of you. Could it be that rest for your soul, there's lots of layers to the meaning of that passage, I understand. He's talking about a lot of things there, but could it be that rest for your soul is connected through learning from Jesus, his gentleness and humility in heart? This is how he is to us. Do you know him that way? To all who turn to him, this is how he is. To everybody that's weighed down by life, he gives this invitation Come to me, learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble of heart. It's an invitation to encounter who he is so that we can then release who he is to those around us. Gentleness, gentleness. Galatians 6, verse 1. It's another instruction that connects with gentleness. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of accusation. In a spirit of gentleness. A spirit of gentleness. So, Paul's speaking this, that here we have a believer who is potentially caught in sin. What do we do? Do we call our friend and talk about it? Do we throw stones at that person? No. Do we ignore it? No. He says we go to that person. We speak to them. 
but we do it with the motivation to restore them. To restore them. How? In a spirit of gentleness. Why? Because that's how he is with us. Have you known him this way? That's how he is with us, and we get to demonstrate to our brothers and sisters again who he is. Paul goes on to say, he says this, keep watch over yourself lest you too be tempted. How many know that there's some humility in that? Oh, I can't believe that that guy did that. Oh, well, it could happen to you, right? Like, oh, I can't believe that they're in that mess. Oh my gosh, it's terrible. No, 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 no. He says, hey, keep a watch on you. Keep a watch on your life, lest you too be tempted. Then he goes on, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's his law? His law is love. We demonstrate his love through our gentleness. We reflect him through our gentleness. The original Greek word here for gentle does not mean weak. It actually means strength under control. We talk about gentleness, we're not talking about weak and wimpy. We're talking about strength under control. Here's the thing. Anybody can be harsh. Anybody can be coarse. Anybody can call out somebody's faults, somebody's failures. Anybody can be critical and judgmental of somebody. But the spiritual one through gentleness restores and calls out the gold and calls out the good and calls that brother, that sister to restoration because that's the heart of the Father. And this is what Jesus does. How many are thankful for that? How many want a community like that? How many want to be a part of a community that when you mess up, there are brothers and sisters, spiritual mothers and fathers that are there saying, I want to restore you. Come on, let me show you the way. You, you messed up there. Let's admit it. Let's confess it. Let's get it out. Let's deal with it. And then let's get you healed and restored to who you really are. That's what we're called to be, you guys. That's what we're called to be. But we can't ignore it when things happen. And we don't embrace it. In those other ways that we already talked about, we do it in a spirit of gentleness. I can have very difficult conversations, as I often do, with people, but I can have them in a spirit of gentleness. I can actually disagree with someone, but I can do it in gentleness. Right? I can talk with a fellow believer about whatever the hot button of the day is. And they might see things very, very differently from me, but I can do it with gentleness. You know, some might say, well, Jesus flipped the table, so do I. I can't stand that when I hear that. Don't say that. Jesus did that once. <laughs> he flipped the table once because the house of God was being turned into a market. Don't, don't say, well, Jesus flipped the tables. I go around flipping tables. Well, you're not walking with Jesus doing that. You're just not. That's, that, that's, that's totally out of the context of what that's about. Don't, don't flip tables. Some of you might say, well, my makeup, my makeup isn't gentle. I'm rough. I'm, I'm, I'm tough. I'm Irish. I'm Italian. I love the Irish and the Italian, by the way. It's not my personality to be gentle. Guess what? Gentleness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. No, really, I, I really want you to think about this. Gentleness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So when the Spirit of the Lord is in you, 
partnering with your obedience and your yes, gentleness will be produced on the fruit tree of your life. If you're lacking gentleness, I want to tell you, it's there in the spirit, but you get to partner through obedience and your yes to him. And I'm telling you what, that fruit will begin to grow on your tree. Philippians 4, let your gentleness be known. Are you all, you doing okay? You thinking about the game or you thinking about this message? Be honest. I can see liars from a mile away. No, I'm just kidding. Let your gentleness be known to all. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Seems right now in our culture as it just seems like it's just become a norm that words like humble, words like gentle, words like love, even in our Christian culture, almost seem like super low in importance. But church, I want to tell you today that they're important. So much so that Paul says that they are the way that we walk in a manner that's worthy of our calling. They're actually the way in which we walk. So Paul says, we're called to walk in humility, gentleness, and then he goes on with patience in verse two. Patience, bearing with one another in love. And this word bear here means to endure. I'm sorry. It means to endure. It actually means to endure something unpleasant. To endure something unpleasant. To bear with someone in acts of selfless obedience. And I want to be really clear. I'm not talking about staying in abusive relationships. Okay? That's a whole other layer of things that I'm not touching on today. But uh, this isn't a call to stay in an abusive relationship. Okay? But Paul knows that there is diversity in our relationships in the body of Christ. He knows that there is going to be real differences. And differences, guess what they mean? They mean real difficulties, real conflict. In other words, it's going to be messy sometimes. Everybody is not going to handle things the way that you would handle them. Everybody is not going to think like you. And because of that, you're going to need, to, you're going to need patience to endure in love. Now, we have to resist the idea that everybody who's walking with the Lord will somehow look and act and think like us. If you haven't figured this out yet, they won't. Bearing with one another here has to do with differences among believers. It has to do with differences in personality, in perspective, in viewpoint, in the midst of disagreements and in the midst of conflict. Do you hear me on this? Like, like in the midst of it, I'm not talking about clear doctrinal issues. I'm not talking about clear biblical truth where we agreement. The danger often comes, though, when, we, when things heat up in the, in the culture or in church life where, where, to the point where we get confused over what is primary and secondary. Do you know what I'm saying here? Issues in Jesus. And we must not put our beliefs above non-essentials or above love. Jesus said, what good is it if you love those who love you? So what, what good is it if you're kind to those that are kind to you? Even, even the world does that. Even the tax collectors do that. What good is it if you, if you love those that agree with you or you can, you can agree with? No, 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 no. That's how, what the world does. He's saying, no, endure with one another in love even when it isn't pleasant. We don't like to do that, do we? The world likes to cut off 
If you've hurt me, I'm done with you. If you've offended me, I'm out. If I don't like what that pastor said today, I'm finding a new church. Whoa. If you don't agree with, (laughs) Aaron's leaving. If you don't agree with me, if you don't agree with me, I'm moving on. I'm telling you how much of that culture the world has set into the church. Guys, but the church, the body of Christ, what we're seeing here is called to another way. We aren't called to control or to manipulate or use power. We aren't called to cut and run. We're called to heal and stay. We're not called to cut and run. We're called to heal and to stay and to make peace. We're called to sit at the table with the wounded and with the prickly with the ones that are hurt, the one who disagrees with me, the one who rejects me and denies me, and instead of running away from them, like Jesus, I make them breakfast. I make them breakfast, I cook them up some eggs, some fish and chips. You know what I'm talking about? Jesus did this after the disciples, after Peter denied him, after he's resurrected, he shows up and he serves them breakfast. Guys, this is who we are to be. This is enduring in love. Call to sit at the table with those and look them in the eyes with humility and look them in the eyes with gentleness and do the hard work of bearing with one another in love and protecting peace. If this isn't found in the church, you guys, where will people be able to find this? I'd like to suggest the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven looks like this. This is part of the way in which we release it. Then Paul says, verse 4, the music is playing, and I'm, I'm not done. That's why we have part two tomorrow. Or not tomorrow. <laughs> Come here tomorrow morning. I will be here. I won't be here in this stage, but I'll be here. <laughs> Guys, help me. I wish this wasn't online. It's, be- it's just, you know, you experience it in the room online. It's like, who's that wacko? Um, God bless you at home. Stretch your hand out to the TV. He says this in verse 3, the last one. He says, this is the way you walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The unity of the spirit is is a gift from God to us, made possible by the cross that's empowered by the spirit. Okay, Paul says, be eager. This word here, this Greek word here means actually it's the idea of zealous effort to guard it. A zealous effort to protect it. All relationships in the body of Christ, all of them, families, friendships, marriages, Paul's aware of the many temperaments and racial diversity. He's aware of all of the backgrounds that are coming together. He's, he's aware of the people from Philadelphia that would be sitting in this house today on the Super Bowl Sunday. He's aware that we would be together in this place. And he says, you don't have to divide over an NFL team. You can be one in me. It's a crazy example, but you know what I'm saying? Like you can be one in me. You can be different. 
They all gathered there. It was like a melting pot of all kinds of people. But he wanted them to understand the spiritual realities in Jesus that unite them, that transcend their differences. And he's saying, protect this, guard this. I'll tell you this, it's going to be impossible to experience the unity of the Spirit with one another if our value system is based on agreement with each other. Church, we aren't going to agree with each other on everything. Anyone who is married understands this, right? Our unity is based on our agreement with Him and in Him. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one King. It's Him. I love how the message says this is steadily pouring yourself out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences, and quick at mending fences. Did you hear that? Quick at mending fences. I don't know if they have pulled it up or not, but it's, it's there, I promise. When offenses grow over time, people you have an offense with will begin to start looking uglier and uglier. People that something gets in there and you get offended with it. People, maybe it's a church. The church that you loved, if an offense gets in there and it's undealt with, it'll start looking uglier and uglier. Oh, that's wrong and that's wrong. Oh, that. Everybody's going to look different. Your spouse, if a fence gets in there and it gets, it's not dealt with, your spouse will begin to look less and less attractive to you. It's the same in friendship. It'll change how you see them. In verse 26 of Ephesians 4, Paul says this. He says, be angry and do not sin. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. It doesn't say don't be angry. Anger is a human emotion. I always encourage my girls, hey, honey, I know you're really upset right now. I know you're angry. Anger in itself isn't sin. But what I tell them is this, how you hold and release that anger is what matters. Right? Like if you pretend you're not angry and you are, it's just another form of lying. Paul's saying, don't let, your, don't let your anger lead you into sin. Deal with it quickly before you go to bed. Don't let it continue. Otherwise, you're leaving an open door and inviting the, the devil, he says, to come in. I wonder how many nights of sleep we've gone holding anger that has given the enemy entrance into our lives, which has allowed strongholds of unforgiveness or a fence to be built. It's no wonder part of the prayer of Jesus that he gave us was, Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. Right? I gotta say this, and I'm gonna close early. Well, it's not really early, but it's early from where I was gonna close in this message, but prayer, I'm gonna get into some, some more of the weeds on this next week, so please don't miss next week. You're gonna really need the second half, and don't miss these Wednesday nights. I tell you, they're so good for you. It's not a plug to get people in the building because I want people in chairs. It's because I want the church equipped, right? Like this is, this is why I'm encouraging this. But prayer is one of the greatest tools we have to release anger. 
Prayer is one of the greatest tools that we have to release offense. The conflicts that we have with people need to be brought to the Lord first. That's why he gave us that prayer. And what happens is that in that prayer, often he touches our heart towards them and towards how we actually see the conflict. And in that, he changes us. And often we can actually just leave it there. We can leave it there because we realize that it was actually way more about me than it was about them. Have you ever had that? Like many times the Lord is interested in using that conflict to change you, not them. I can't tell you how many times over 21 years of marriage, I thought the problem was with Christy. Right, babe? Like, like, but after a time of prayer, I actually realized it was me. It was me. It wasn't her. It was me. I'm going to just leave you with this. Jesus is always talking to you about you. Jesus is always talking to me about me. I can't change her, but I can let him change me. Right? Like, he's not talking to you about what somebody else needs to do. He's talking to you. <laughs> he's talking to you about the work that he wants to do in you. Because you are responsible for you as you stand before him. When I stand before him, it isn't going to be about somebody else. It's going to be about me. Do you hear this, you guys? Like, it's not going to be about what they did. It's going to be about what I did. This will free you up. It's just so simple. It'll be about how I responded before the Lord to what was done to me. We're called to be quick to mend fences, quick to protect the unity in the bond of peace. And church, we have to fight for this through refusing to cut people off, refusing to run, refusing to ignore, but after prayer, embrace the conflict and make peace. We're gonna get into what that looks like. How many say, I wanna be a part of that? Come on, stand with me this morning. <clears throat> I'd like to just end real, real quick, and I want us just to pray. I believe that this is how we begin to walk in a manner that's worthy of our calling. Humility, gentleness, bearing with one another in love, and eager for peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. We're going to get in the weeds later, but I want to just ask you, just with your eyes closed all over the room, can we just kind of put our hands before us in just a posture of surrender? And I just welcome you, Holy Spirit. You're so kind. Jesus, you're so gentle, and you're here today with us. You're so kind. You're so gentle. I just want to just say, how many would just say that there's, there's some stuff in me that I need to give to the Lord? How many would raise your hand and just say, there, there's some places in me, there's some offense, there's some things in me that I, wanna, I need to give to the Lord. Yeah, all over the room, all of us. Lord, I thank you right now that it's a process. It's not just a quick thing, 
but for everyone who raised their hand, I thank you that your word is alive and it's active. And I thank you that you're breaking off old mindsets that say we are to hold on to this stuff, but you're showing us by your word the way in which you call us to live. You're teaching us what it is to walk with you. And so I pray that even today, as we go to prayer, tomorrow morning as we go to prayer, I pray that our hearts would be softened to release these things to you. And then I believe you're gonna show us what to do with them. Even in the next weeks, you're gonna equip us to know what the next steps are in releasing this. So I pray, God, that our church would be a church that walks in your way. And if you agree with that, would you say amen? Amen. Yeah. Can we give the Lord a shout of praise today? Yeah. You guys, I love you so much. There's so many good things ahead for us. Go hug someone as you leave today. Call somebody. Invite somebody you don't like over to the Super Bowl party. Just go. Just invite an enemy over. Bless them with some good queso. Love you all. Have an amazing day. Have fun tonight.